After weeks of speculation, it was leaked yesterday that Alina Kagan would be President Obama's U.S. Supreme Court nominee. It's doubtful many were surprised by the news, but lawyers have quite a few thoughts on what comes next for Kagan, who's currently serving as the country's Solicitor General. I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, and this is the ABA Journal Podcast. One of the lawyers joining us today is Craig Turk our writer and executive producer of the ABC television series Private Practice. He's also involved in politics and was chief counsel for John McCain's 2000 presidential campaign. Craig, if you were a U.S. senator, what would you ask Kagan at her nomination hearings? You know, to some extent, I have to say, it doesn't matter much because I think she'll be extremely well-prepared, as uh, now Justice Sotomayor was. You know, and there aren't typically gotcha moments in these hearings where all of a sudden you're going to hear a nominee slip out with, you know, well, I think Roe and Brown were wrongly decided. Yes, yeah, so I think I think most likely we're going to hear her say it's inappropriate to opine on most issues that might come before the court and that, she, you know, she's bound to follow the law. Um, one of the realities of Supreme Court nomination battles these days um, is that, for, you know, for all this, the hype surrounding the hearings, they ultimately are not going to tell us a tremendous amount um, about Elena Kagan, you know, I think what they're going to do is uh, activate, uh, you know, politically interested people on on both sides of the aisle, and people will raise a lot of money and, and generate a lot of heat off of them. You know, that 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 I think Elena Kagan's in a special position. I think she can really be asked anything based on on some writing that she did um, years ago about the the nomination process and the hearings, which she called a vapid and hollow charade. I think you'll be hearing that a lot. Um, and she, I think she referred to it as an embarrassment. The senators don't insist on nominees revealing what kind of justice they would make or disclose their views on important legal issues. Um, and so I think, uh, as I said, for someone with not a long paper trail uh, and who anecdotally hasn't discussed these issues, she uh, will probably be, uh, be hearing her own words back to her a lot of times. And the issues I would imagine she's going to be asked about are when she was the dean of Harvard Law School, uh, having banned recruiters, military recruiters from HLS because of the, the ban on gays in the military. I think people are going to be interested in hearing her views on executive power and the war of, the war on terror. Yeah, I agree. I agree with Craig that, uh, that, that she's, she's very likely to, uh, uh, to get these questions. The, the, the difference is, is that, um, you know, I, I, if you look at the history of these, these, uh, these uh, nomination hearings, these confirmation hearings, you just don't see uh, nominees answering questions. Uh, they get to the point of following the script and, and, and essentially saying, look, you know, I'm going to apply precedent. I'm going to give due respect to precedent. Um, but you don't really hear them uh, answering questions about, uh, um, you know, even their past. Um, you know, they, they give very sort of uh, 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 practiced answers to these questions. And the only way I think that's really going to change systemically is if, uh, if, is if the uh, senators vote down a nominee who refuses to answer the questions. Right now the safe play is always – to, to answer as little as possible, just enough to get confirmed, but not enough to create a controversy. I don't think that it matters what she's going to be asked. There are 59 Democrats. She's impeccably qualified. And what David's saying is right, that there could be a point at which the Senate could deny confirmation to someone who refuses to answer questions. But that's not going to happen when the Senate is controlled by the same political party as the president is. The advantage and the disadvantage that Kagan presents for President Obama is her lack of a paper trail. She's not been a judge before, so there's not all of the prior judicial opinions to scrutinize. Sonia Sotomayor had almost 20 years of prior judicial opinions to go through. You don't have that here. 
she doesn't have that many law review articles for somebody who's been an academic for a long time. She's about five major articles, and none say particularly controversial things. Now, I think that Kagan will be hit, as Craig points out, with her prior writings that said that nominees should answer questions, but I think she'll deal with that with a smile and a laugh and say, well, that's when I was an academic and now I'm a nominee and I really have to follow what other nominees have done and not tell you what I believe is to specific issues. The place where I disagree with Craig is I think that the military recruiter issue is very unlikely to get much traction. The reality is that virtually every major law school refused to allow military recruiters on campus. All the major law schools have policies that say that in order for a recruiter to come on campus, the recruiter has to be of an employer that doesn't discriminate based on race, gender, religion, sexual orientation. The military discriminates. So Harvard was like all the other law schools in this regard. And I think that that answer is going to be all that is needed. The bottom line is that Elena Kagan, because she doesn't have a paper trail, makes it an easy confirmation fight. On the other hand, the bottom line is that no one really knows what Elena Kagan's going to be on the Supreme Court. President Obama can't know, the Democrats can't know, the Republicans can't know, because you don't have the same kind of paper trail that recent nominees have had. And what, what, one of the interesting uh, positions that, that I think Elena Kagan is in is, um, as, as I think Irwin said, she, I mean, she, she has a stellar resume. I mean, you know, by, by the time she's 50, she'd been the dean of Harvard Law School and the Solicitor General, which are two of sort of the iconic jobs in, in the field of law. She's certainly respected um, by liberals and conservatives alike. And, you know, she, she has a tremendous amount of political cover on the right, which, which is typically what a Democratic president would be worried about. I mean, people like Ken Starr and Ted Olson um, – really respect her, Charles Freed, you know, who she'd worked with at Harvard. So I, I think that she, she's in somewhat of a special position. And um, as everyone said, I, I think barring something cropping up, which, it, which it, it always does to some extent, but barring anything major cropping up in confirmation hearings, I, I think she's very well situated. Yeah, David, what do you think she'll be like as a consensus builder? I know a lot has been made about the president wanting a nominee who was good at consensus building, much like Stevens. Yeah, I think I think that she she has the ability to do that. I mean, if you look at her record, um, building consensus on the Harvard Law Faculty is no easy thing. And I'm not saying that she she did it perfectly, but she certainly did a good job of bringing in people from a variety of different backgrounds and viewpoints uh, and getting them to get along with one another, which is not, which is not an easy thing at all. Um, you know, I don't think she's going to come on. Stevens has more than 30 years of experience. Um, he worked under Brennan, who was a historic consensus builder and did a very nice job at bringing, bringing justice together, and that's reflected in the papers of justices, uh, how, how Brennan was able to do that. Um, I don't think any justice could come on the court and do that in the first three or five years. It's really, from what I understand, a, a very high learning curve. With that said, um, I do think that President Obama uh, probably gets more out of an Elena Kagan than, than necessarily going to the far left. Uh, if you go to the far, really far left, uh, that particular justice is not going to have the ability really to persuade Kennedy, which is the key swing vote in almost every important constitutional case. But you know, we don't know where Kagan is. She may be much more moderate than Stevens. She may be more liberal than Stevens, because we don't have a paper trail we don't know. And I, I just want to disagree with the sentiment that it would be better to have someone who's in the middle than more liberal. 
because it can't be that Republicans get to pick from fairly far on the right and people like Roberts and Alito, but Democrats can only pick for the middle. Brennan shows that somebody can be very liberal but also be a consensus builder. Okay. Um, now, a lot of people have said, as you guys have, that Kagan would be an easy appointment for Obama with not a lot of pushback from the GOP. Craig, when the president and his staff were talking to prominent members of the Republican Party about Kagan's nomination, what do you think came up in those conversations? Um, I think probably to some extent a sigh of relief. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think that of the uh, the individuals who were known to be or at least speculated to be on Obama's shortlist, um, Kagan, uh, as we discussed earlier, had had a lot of respect on the right. You know, during during her time at, at Harvard Law School, she broke this this kind of log jam that you know that existed in terms of getting professors there, um, and you know even supports some. Uh, conservatives joining the faculty, which was something that, that hadn't happened in a while, and um, I, I, my you know my sense is that conservatives at, at Harvard appreciated her, felt welcomed. I know she did a lot to make the Federalist Society, which is obviously a conservative legal organization, feel welcome on campus, uh, which members hadn't always. And so, to that extent, I think that that, that GOP senators um, were probably. Not as uh, not as upset as they might have been by some of, some of the other choices. Diane Wood, for example, who I think would have been more controversial. That said, I think the issues that they'll pick on, um, although Irwin's explanation of the issue um, I think was very articulate, I, I, I do think that that's going to come up, and I think that that um, the 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 Republican senators will will give her some flack on the military recruiter issue. Um, I think her lack of judicial experience. Well, not necessarily problematic has not, has not been something we see on the court in maybe 40 years, I think, something like that. And so I think she, she will get questions from Republicans on, you know, does that matter and how much does it matter? And um, Irwin, as someone who's been in academics for a while, when you look at Kagan's history, do you get the sense that she's someone who maybe has been working towards a seat on the Supreme Court for perhaps her entire legal career? I think getting a seat on the Supreme Court is like being struck by lightning. Even look at right now, President Obama's list of, say, 10 was filled with impeccably qualified people. You could say that any of them were working for a seat on the Supreme Court their entire life, but it's all just a matter of being at the right place at the right time. Did she have in the back of her mind that if lightning struck, she'd like to be on the Supreme Court? Sure, but that's true of so many others. I'll go back to what Craig and David said. This is somebody who has a golden resume. She's impeccably qualified. And in that sense, she's built the credentials to be able to be considered for the Supreme Court when the opportunity presented itself. And, David, what do you think? Well, I, you know, I disagree with Erin a little bit. Um, you know, I, I do think she's qualified, and I'm one of those people that, that tends to give a bit of deference to presidents. Um, impeccably qualified, you know, I'm not so sure, given, yes, she was dean of Harvard Law School, uh, but, you know, a lot of scholars are measured by their scholarly output. And, you know, uh, five or six articles in whatever, 15 to 20 years – I don't think necessarily uh, makes her, uh, you know, a star scholar. With that said, I do think that she is uh, is likely qualified. Um, I do think that, you know, there are going to be some issues, as as, as Craig said. Uh, I do think there are going to be some issues that she's got to answer for. But again, unless unless senators are really willing to not vote her up, um, then I, I just don't think that that's going to be much of an issue. I, you know, and as to the question of whether. You know, she's th or steered her whole life towards being a Supreme Court appointment. Um, I think you could say that about a lot of nominees, but it's more of a it's more of a of of, 
uh, being struck by lightning, as Irwin said. Um, John Roberts, if he gets if he gets confirmed to the D.C. Circuit in 1999, uh, may not be on the sitting on the Supreme Court today. Elena Kagan, if she gets if she gets her uh, D.C. Circuit bid when Clinton was uh, was uh, uh, actually she was the 99 person. If she gets her D.C. Circuit bid, uh, then she may not be on the Supreme Court. So I mean, it's very interesting to sort of look back. But I, you know, I think it's hard to say. You know, yes, she's prepared to be. She, you know, she probably said if if, if lightning strikes, you know, I want to be I want to be a candidate. But I don't think I certainly don't think she lived her whole life to be on the Supreme Court. Erwin, how happy are progressive Democrats with Kagan's nomination? I don't think that Kagan was the first choice of progressive Democrats, precisely because they don't know how progressive she'll be. As we've already said, she doesn't have a paper trail as a judge or even as an academic that shows that she's going to be liberal. And so I think that progressives would have rather seen a Diane Wood or a Sidney Thomas than what they've done as court of appeal judges had done this, or an academic like Cam Carlin, where you could say, okay, this is somebody who's liberal. This is the one time that President Obama could have picked a liberal. We don't know what the Senate's going to be after the November elections. And there is a risk in the eyes of progressives is what Elena Kagan's going to be on the Supreme Court. Everyone knows that she's going to be somewhat left of center. But will she be as liberal as John Paul Stevens? I think some liberals are afraid that she'll be more conservative than Stevens. And certainly the track record of nominees who don't have a paper trail doesn't lead to confidence how liberals should be. Think of David Souter. He didn't have a paper trail, and he was a bitter disappointment to Republicans. David, how conservative do you think Kagan will be? You know, I this is where I agree 100% with Irwin. I, I think we have no idea. Um, there isn't, as I said before, she doesn't have a paper trail in terms of her academic writing. Uh, she certainly hasn't, hasn't uh, uh, taken positions as a judge. Um, I just I, I don't know. Uh, liberals have, have come out and, and talked about her uh, executive power and the fact that she's been very defensive of the executive power rulings of, of, of Barack Obama. Um, I'm not sure that her positions as Solicitor General are indicative of how she's going to be as a justice. In fact, I'm sure they are not. Um, so I think we have no idea how she's going to be on the Supreme Court. And I'm not even sure that the president may have a better idea, but I'm not sure he has much of an idea uh, what she's going to be like as a justice. I do agree with with, uh, with both David and Erwin. I, I think there's there's not a good way to determine um, how conservative or how liberal she has uh, she will be based on on how she has been. And and unfortunately, as, as we discussed earlier, I don't, I don't know that the the hearings are going to tell us much. So I, I think we're going to have to wait and see. Okay. And Erwin, her hiring record at Harvard Law came up uh, from some professors there. What did you make of that? Because what I saw was Charles Freed praising her hiring with regard to ideological diversity, her being willing to hire onto the Harvard faculty, conservatives as well as to liberals. And so I think that's something that's going to get mentioned a great deal. And I think having someone, assuming he does testify, like Charles Freed before the Senate Judiciary Committee, does provide her a great deal of cover with conservatives. Okay. I think uh, <coughs> if what you were referring to was the, was the diversity issue, I know that that that's come up. It was it was one of those things that that sort of gets leaks, uh, that gets leaked in anticipation of someone's nomination. And it was something like I think over over the six years that she was dean, there were 29 new hires, 23 white men, five white women, and one Asian American woman. Um, 
which I know has led some people to question her commitment to uh, diversity. The, the pushback from the White House was was strong and fast, and you know essentially had to do with the fact that she says that she you know she made a number of offers to candidates, candidates who who are more diverse than the people who eventually got hired. Um, so I, I think that's going to come up. I think it's going to come up from the left. I had not heard those statistics, but I'm not sure how much they'll matter in the confirmation process. The reality is it's the Democrats who are going to be much more concerned about them than the Republicans. They might ask about them, but they're not going to vote against Kagan because of them. And also, Kagan has the easy defense of, I was the dean. I don't get to make faculty appointments. I can assure you, as a dean of a law school, I don't get to appoint people on the faculty. The faculty does. And so, of course, the dean plays a leadership role. I, I just don't see that this is going to be an issue that's going to get very far for anybody. Okay. Yeah, I agree. This is David. I agree with Irwin. Um, I just don't see attacks from the left. This is not a uh, sort of a Harriet Myers situation where I think that the uh, where the right attacked Harriet Myers for George W. Bush's pick. Um, I I just don't see attacks from the left, which is what this is. Um, you know, a number of the professors who have raised these particular concerns um, are you know sort of self-identified liberal. Some are critical legal study scholars. Um, I just don't see that getting a lot of traction. Um, uh, the Republicans aren't really going to want to push on that. Yes, some of the Democrats may push, but they'll ask it in a very nice sort of, how can you explain this, Ms. Kagan, uh, or Solicitor General Kagan? How can you explain your diversity record? I just don't see this getting a lot of traction during the hearing. Okay. And Craig, as someone who makes a living in pop culture, um, in general, how do you think the country will react to Kagan, particularly when the Senate hearings start? I think picking Elena Kagan for the Supreme Court, um, with all due respect to, to Elena Kagan, is sort of like ordering chicken in a fancy restaurant. You know, it's good, it's safe, you're very unlikely to regret it. Um, or, you know, it's one of the specials more exciting, maybe, but specials, you know, a, a Diane Wood or a Cass Sunstein can, can be hit or miss. And I, I don't think President Obama is in a hit or miss mood. Um, you know, I think her, her resume is... is extremely strong. She's being sold as a moderate and a consensus builder. She's already been confirmed recently as Solicitor General. Um, I think there will be surprises. Justice Sotomayor had, had wise Latina. You know, things always come up in, in these hearings that uh, the media will, will try to fan the flames of. The one thing that isn't said about that that I think is important is she's charming in person. There's no edge to Elena Kagan. She is the kind of person who I think will come across to the senators and to the country is a very warm, kind person, because that's who she is. And so I think that will really help during the confirmation process. And, David, if the president gets another Supreme Court nominee, do you have any predictions on who it would be? Well, I think that's a very interesting question. I think that one of the reasons why he picked Elena Kagan um, was because, you know, the Democrats uh, are the, – the, the polls tell them that the, that the Democrats are in trouble in the fall election. Um, I don't think the congressional Democrats are really braced for a big fight over a Supreme Court nominee. I don't think judges play the Democratic base quite as much as they do to the Republican base. Um, and so I think that uh, – that, that the Senate is likely to be different. I don't think that the Republicans will win the Senate. I think it'll become close. It'll be closer to a, an even, even Senate. Um, and so I think it's going to be a tougher uh, environment for Obama to get a nominee through. So I actually see, I think Kagan was the runner-up for the Sotomayor position. Um, from what I understand, Merrick Garland was the runner-up for the Kagan position. Merrick Garland was, was acceptable to Orrin Hatch and, and to a number of Republicans. 
I think that he's going to be a little on the old side, depending on when the appointment comes, uh, being 57 or 58 right now. Um, but I, I see him as a potential nominee. I mean, the one thing that's interesting about the pattern is that Roberts went to Harvard College and Harvard Law School. Alito went to Princeton and to Yale Law School. Sotomayor went to Princeton and Yale Law School. And Kagan went to Princeton and Harvard Law School. I think some of the appeal of a Sidney Thomas is somebody from the middle of the country, somebody who didn't grow up in one of the boroughs of New York. And I still think that the next nominee is more likely to be a Jennifer Granholm, the governor of Michigan, or Deval Patrick, the governor of Massachusetts, or maybe a Janet Napolitano, who was governor of Arizona and is now head of the Department of Homeland Security. I think it's going to be somebody from a different mold. But again, the bottom line is, is what David's saying. Who's the Senate at that point in time? What President Obama does is likely based on it. And keep in mind, absent unforeseen circumstances, probably Obama, even if he serves two terms, only gets one more pick. Only likely it's Justice Ginsburg who will be stepping down over the next seven years. Craig, do you have any predictions? Um, I, I think both of them are, are correct. I think it will be an indicator of how strong President Obama feels and, and what shape um, the Democratic Party is in when, when the pick is made. Um, It'll be interesting to see if it um, if it is indeed someone with, with a totally different background. I, I think that that you know one potential uh, thing that that will play into this is you have someone like Elena Kagan, if she's indeed confirmed, you know who who doesn't you know who has never been a judge and and toward people who are who are not judges, in which case um, certainly do have a better shot. Uh, or do we move back to someone from the bench? Um, I, mean, I know that there was a tremendous amount of enthusiasm on the left for Diane Wood. Um, some people think that, that Kat Sunstein is, you know, a big, bold, home run kind of pick. But then, if you know, if it's you know, if it's a tough political situation, um, then I agree the 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 Merrick Garlands of the world are, are much better.